Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Tennessee Power Hour is here coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll talk with Chris Lee of VandySports.com. We'll recap the College World Series matchup last night where Vanderbilt uh, blown out yet again. Uh, nearly no hit. A combined no hitter had never taken place in the College World Series. And Mississippi State nearly pulled it off where Vandy got a hit in the eighth um, that, that ended that run. What an incredible run for Mississippi State. And Vanderbilt uh, loses in the final game of the, of the season um, and finishes with 49 wins. Nothing to uh, shake her head out and be disappointed about from the youth aspect of this team. They'll be back. But an opportunity missed by the squad after winning game one and needing one more victory to hoist the trophy in a year where they advanced on a wild pitch and they advanced due to COVID at NC State. And, uh, I mean, you had to wonder how a team as talented as that hit so little and fielded so poorly. <clears throat> really disappointing. And, and look, you can understand the hitting. Team, teams go quiet. Uh, you know, teams slump, teams run into good pitching. They, they're excellent pitching for, for Mississippi State uh, yesterday and in the final two games. But to field the way they did or didn't, um, fielding slumps are not really a thing. And it, it really felt like, I don't know if they pressed or how they got away from the basics the way they did. I'm looking forward to Chris Lee's uh, information on how they got so far away. Yeah. If you're going to win a college world series, you're going to have to field well, plus, uh, you know, and, and they didn't. Uh, and I, I was really, uh, listen, I'm not uh, following them religiously by any means, but I turn on a Vanderbilt baseball team at this time of year. Uh, I expect it to, to be making plus plays like the play we saw on Monday night. Uh, with Vaz coming 150 feet from right field to slide and make a play near the wall, not to see the second baseman yesterday just having a ball go off the heel of his glove, and inexplicably he's kind of shaking his head and being like, I can't believe that I did not make that play. And that's what anybody who's rooting for Vanderbilt last night is thinking on multiple plays. Like, how are they failing to make, you know, Simon's coach says, make the routine play. And Vanderbilt was not making some routine plays um, last night. That was the main disappointment. Now, they weren't winning that game if they made the routine play last night. But I would have felt a lot better of them if they had gone out at least making the routine play. Coming up, Chris Lee, VandySports.com. Big headline in Nashville today. The Nashville Predators trading Victor Arvidsson to the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for two draft picks. Those draft picks, a 2021 second-round pick. So they get a pick this year and then a third-round pick next year. Victor Arvidsson uh, is one of those fan favorites, and for good reason, because of, his hustle, because of his hustle and effort. And, look, the problem here is twofold. Um, what's that? He scraps. Yeah. Uh, he's a very good player. Um, 
the, the problem here is twofold. Number one, he has not been the same player to meet the expectations that we have for him over the last two years because he's been injured. And you just ended a playoff run, uh, albeit a short one, where he didn't play because he was injured. And you wonder if he's going to be at the same level and play at that same level as what we've seen in years past. They were able to move out salary, and they were able to move a player that, again, did not help them in the postseason, and they get two picks in return because they didn't have a lot of young talent on this roster right now anyway. Uh, and now they get to add to their overall pool of players that has been depleted during past seasons because of trade deadline acquisitions and trade deadline deals where you send some picks in return. Um, it sounds like Ellie Tolvanen is one of those guys that will be asked to step up and fill that role. He has a long way to go to do that. Um, this was, you know, one of the fan favorites, great personality, um, a core guy. But here's the harsh reality, and what I have said, and Paul can vouch for this, what I've said for years. At some point, you have to look at the core and wonder, is this core good enough? Or do we have to shake up and change the core pieces in order to make a run? And this is one of those moves, and I, I brought Arvidsson up as an example. Was Poyle, David Poyle willing to make a difficult decision, a difficult trade, based on trade value? And there are some players that I think they, they may look at and hope that the Kraken end up acquiring, like Duchesne. Do you leave him protected or leave him unprotected? That's, that's a question or do you make a deal that we'll learn soon. For them to take him. Uh, either way, you're begging for him to take, take on Duchesne because he hasn't been the player that you acquired or that you signed, right? Uh, in this case, Arvidsson met those expectations when he was healthy. The problem is he hasn't been. The Kings are betting on he will be. And the Predators needed to change up the core pieces in order to take a next step. I think it goes beyond the health, too. I think the injuries have added up to him slowing down. And speed, uh, his, his ability to, to use that. He's a small guy, but fast, right? And I think the, cumul uh, the accumulation of the injuries has led to on the occasions where he is healthy, he doesn't have, or he's not entirely healthy, he doesn't move as quickly as he used to. He's, he's getting older. He's due $4.25 million this year. That's he's not a... Four point two five million dollar right. player. They're able to move that you're, salary. You're paying him for what he was, not for what well, he's going to be. Seems like a good deal to me. Uh, you've got to start getting the draft picks and re replenishing the, the system. Well, they also now, Paul, have uh, you know th this is a this can also be a shrewd move to move Duchesne. You can incentivize incentivize the the, the Seattle Kraken. To take on Duchesne and use one of these picks you've acquired to, give to help move and make that. Yeah. To that. And yeah. then you're dumping an even bigger salary and putting yourself in a much better financial position. We'd be remiss if we didn't offer our condolences to Lindsay and David Reed, who <laughs> That's right. uh, got a puppy. Uh, how old is he, Reed? Reed's a behind. Four or five years old, maybe. How old is Harvey? three-year-old dog in their house who they named after Arvey. Uh, they have a picture of Arvey with Arvey. They snuck him into a, a cell phone store when he was making an appearance. And today the two part and one will be in Nashville and one will be in the City of Angels. Um, I think they got a good run out of the relationship. 
But nevertheless, they're going to have to have a tough conversation with their dog tonight about his namesake uh, departing. Now, he's from Europe, so he's not been here year-round, so they're used to some separation. But now it's a year-round separation except when the Kings come to, to Nashville. And I hope I never have to have a conversation like this with Ripley, and I won't because he's not named after anybody specific. Unless you want to take him to a Ripley's, believe it or not, museum, and then the conversation gets awkward <laughs> with some of the stuff he'll find. You know, there is a believe it or not element to this. Like, can you believe it or not that I actually went in for the second dog? Yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I can. Others can. Um, uh, final thing, uh, just thinking about Arvitz, and I think about the Jofa line and what that group has meant to this Predators team and the core pieces. Of this era. Yeah. Uh, uh, of the, the Pecorine run and, and, and what he's meant to everything. The Jofa line, though, keep in mind, has not been able to stay together over the last two seasons due to injuries. Like, that's that's also a harsh it's reality been taped in this. together when it's been uh, But Arvidsson's going to go down, not just as a fan favorite, well, one of the best to put on the, the Preds' colors. Very I mean, influential player. And, yeah. And people will remember him fondly, and they should. And they should. And they need... Like you're saying, if it's Tolvanen or whomever, there's a big role to be filled there. Unfortunately, Arvidsson himself hasn't been filling it, and that's the reason they're making this deal. 25 points in 50 games uh, this past season, and again, did not help them at all in the postseason. Coming up, speaking of postseason, it's over for college baseball. Mississippi State wins the championship. Vanderbilt takes it to game three in a winner-take-all scenario but wasn't able to take anything at the plate and gave up some runs due to some errors in the field. We discussed that with Chris Lee of VandySports.com next on the Tennessee Power Hour. Outkick 360, the Tennessee Power Hour rolls on across the Outkick Network alongside Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Chris Lee of VandySports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at ChrisLee70. Uh, the Commodores lose in Game 3 of the College World Series last night. Mississippi State takes home their first team championship uh, and hoists the trophy at TD Ameritrade Park. They do that in blowout fashion on back-to-back -back nights. Chris, hope you're doing well. Really enjoyed your coverage at VandySports.com throughout uh, the, the College World Series and throughout the calendar year, the sports calendar year for Vandy. Are you, are you more surprised at the lack of production at the plate over the last two nights or the errors in the field for Vanderbilt? I think the errors, uh, one thing that I always tell people, if you don't watch college baseball, don't watch in February and March. Watch in May and June when teams are clicking on all cylinders. And I don't think that any program or coach has figured that out more than Tim Corbin. And so to see them go to Omaha and defend the way they did was a little bit alarming because they usually lock it down on defense more than any team out there. And so to see them lose games – well, I won't say that lost them games necessarily. The bats factor, too, as you mentioned. But to see them perform the way that they did uh, was unusual. I've, I've covered a lot of Tim Corbin teams, and I've never seen one that got worse in that regard as the season ended, but that's kind of the way it happened. What did Corbin say uh, about the decay of, of the defense as things went along? Well, 
he didn't say a lot. And one thing that was interesting last night, we had asked him questions about particular players in health, and I'm sure he was not talking about it because it's probably a little bit of a competitive advantage. But after the series was over, he mentioned that Carter Young was about a five or a six on a scale of one to ten. Carter just locked it down defensively all year. And then about five, six weeks ago, he steals a base in a midweek game. His shoulder comes out of socket, and he comes back a couple weeks later. Well, I don't know the severity of his shoulder injury compared to others, but you look up that injury, and that's the kind of thing that sidelines major league players for two or three months sometimes. So when he came back, he just wasn't the same guy at the plate. He wasn't the same guy in the field. I think he was the guy that was, I guess, under the gun or in the crosshairs a good bit in terms of errors because he's a shortstop. But he was phenomenal uh, in getting mentioned as a first-rounder for next year, a lot because of the defense. Now, they had other issues, too. They never fielded well at third all year. Dominic Keegan at first was a little bit erratic. And, and frankly, you can put blame a lot of places. I don't think that – other than maybe Enrique Bradfield and Javier Vaz, anybody was great in the field in Omaha. So it wasn't just on Carter Young, but he was kind of the one who was the focus of a lot of that attention because his defense all year had been so good until Omaha. Um, and it was alarming to see, but I think there was a little bit of an explanation. Plus, this is a team that, frankly, I don't think was used to playing baseball that deep into the season. Uh, not to make excuses, Mississippi State just beat them. And if they played this series again, I think would win for all the reasons we saw. But this was a team that didn't have any of its lineup playing in Omaha two years ago when they won it. And I think inexperience and just the grind of baseball. I mean, they've been going for five months straight. It just seemed like they wore down at the end. Uh, and maybe that explains some of it, too. Chris Lee with VandySports.com, our guest on Outkick 360. Chris, uh, I was not able to join in on the Zoom press conference last night, but you were, and you say this was Tim Corbin at his very best because of the big picture outlook and how he was able to put everything into perspective. Why was he at his best? Take us inside that presser and, and what struck you. Well, I think he was gracious. Uh, Tim is not always a guy who's taken losing easily, but it, I think he did a lot to give credit where it was due on the other side. I think he was able to open up a little bit about their situation and be more honest with us than he's been in terms of guys being banged up. That was good to know. It confirmed some things that I suspected, but it never heard him really say out loud. Um, I, I thought he handled it well. I, I think that he obviously was hurting that they didn't win the whole thing, but his sense of perspective, I thought, on the whole season was good. He talked about how tough it is to win that event. I agree with him. And I think really when he was asked about Kumar Rocker, I saw something from him I, I'd never seen before. He had to pause about 15 seconds before he answered the question because you could tell he was choked up. And you could really tell how much that kid meant to him in that program. And I thought that was kind of neat to see. I thought that was a, a cool moment um, for just everybody to get a glimpse of how close he was to him and what he meant to the team. I just thought that the transparency last night all the way around and the way that he spoke of his team and what they had to do and what Mississippi State did just painted a picture of what it's like out there, how tough it is, how tough it is to win a title. Um, I don't think that I've really done it justice. You kind of have to see it for yourself. 
but I've, I've been through hundreds of those with him, and I've never seen him quite like that in one of those. What did you make, Chris, of the, of the approach to game two and the bullpen and saving the best pitching even after Rocker for game three and what we saw last night? Do you think there's any hesitation looking back on that decision not to go to the pin quicker in game two and try to keep that game closer than what it was instead of living for game three because you already had a game at hand? No, that was the right call. Uh, they have about five arms that they can trust right now, uh, one of whom, well, two of whom didn't pitch very well last night. Once they got behind and weren't hitting, I mean, your hope going into that game if you're Vanderbilt is that Christian Little could have bottled what he did in Hoover, which he didn't do, mm-hmm. and his defense, again, didn't help him. Patrick Riley behind him has been good at times and not so good at other times. So you're flipping a coin going, maybe you can get a good performance out of Riley. That didn't happen. I thought as soon as it went bad and they got down four or five runs, I'm thinking, you've got a pretty good shot throwing Rocker on another day's rest. Uh he was more rested than Will Bednar at Mississippi State. You get to save all your arms. You get to maybe bring Nick Maldonado back after him throwing Monday. I thought it was the right approach. It just didn't work out. We know what Rocker has meant to to this team, to that program, what he meant in 2019 as a freshman and what he did on the mound in that moment and all the great performances in between. How do you describe what Rocker, what, what he meant to the Vanderbilt baseball program, how he will be remembered, and put in perspective for us, if you will, what Corbin is thinking, and we're guessing here, but he's holding emotions back as he pauses for 15 seconds. Is he viewing him as the greatest player to put on the Vandy boys' uniform, in a way? I think he might. I think he's got a case. Um, I'd have to look at it, but I think he's got a really good case. Uh, And especially if you consider if 2020 goes through, right? I think he's going to have another dominant season. You're looking at three All-American type years or maybe maybe two All-American type years and a College World Series MVP and another. So there's that. Um, you know, I watch pitchers in the league a lot, and you see a lot of kids who come to SEC ball who were first, second-round level picks who come in in the first year they struggle. And what Tim said last night was dead on. You don't do what he does as a freshman, and you will see it here in a couple weeks. You'll see some college kids who were picked in the first round or two, and you'll go back and look at what they did as freshmen and sometimes sophomores, and you'll see maybe a five or a six ERA in there in a lot of cases. It's really difficult to come in and not just pitch as well as he did, but don't forget – he saved their season a couple times in 2019. They get beat, what was it, 18 to 5 by Duke in a super regional. He comes back the next night in a game where they lose, they're going home, and he pitches a no hitter. And then he pitches two good starts in Omaha and gets College World Series MVP. That's not something you see a lot out of sophomores and juniors, and you sure don't see it as freshmen. And I think that's just what made him so special the way that he was able to come in and be dominant right away. And it's a shame. I would have loved to have seen how 2020 played out because I think he would have accumulated a stat line and just a body of work that we're probably sitting here today saying, yeah, he's the greatest that ever wore that uniform. He didn't get most of that season, so he didn't get to really accumulate a lot of those numbers. It is what it is, but I think Tim summed it up really well after the game last night. 
Chris Lee of southeastern14.com and vandysports.com with us. You can find him on Twitter at chrislee70. How's this team stand for next year? Obviously, everybody's going to pay the most attention to Rocker and Lighter getting drafted and going to the next level. Um, but, but what's left behind, what's coming in, and what are going to be reasonable expectations um, for, for a team that, that now everybody's going to kind of come to expect to, to make a World Series charge annually? I think they'll be good. Whether they'll be great is the question. Uh, this will probably surprise people based on the way they hit in Omaha, but I think they can get some kids healthy and get the normal freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior jump out of that lineup. I think they've got a chance to be one of the best hitting lineups in the country next year. The draft's going to be important. I think uh, Dominic Keegan and C.J. Rodriguez are kids who could get drafted, say, in the first four or five rounds, or maybe not. Um, Maybe they come back, maybe they don't. I mean, you look back at the 2019 team, one thing that really helped them is they had some kids like Ethan Paul and Julian Infante and Steven Scott, who'd hit pretty well, who came back when they didn't get picked where they wanted. I think that's one thing to watch. I think they'll be good either way on offense, but I think they can really be great depending on the draft. And that also will include some high school kids. I think pitching-wise, they're talented. I mean, they've got a lot of kids who throw 90s, a lot of kids who throw mid-90s, but there's a big jump between that and pitching effectively, which, again, is what made Rocker so special. What I'm looking to see is, can those arms take a jump? Can the Patrick Rileys and the Christian Littles go from guys who were were good half the time to guys who – are SEC-level starters and, and can give you six, seven, eight consistent good innings on the weekends. I think if those pitchers step up, they got a chance to get back there, but there's certainly going to be a lot of ifs with that club. Um, it's not an automatic reload into Omaha because you still got a lot of guys who need to prove some things. Chris, today the, the start date for name, image, likeness across college sports, there will be some programs that will jump right into this, some that will be a wait-and-see and take a wait-and-see approach. We know that Tennessee has has a player, and Cade Mays already, who's who's announcing that he's doing some things with an agency. Have you heard anything like this from, from Vanderbilt Athletics? And what's your sense of how they approach this overall? Because as we know, this will be used as a big tool in recruiting. To be honest, I've been so tied in with the College World Series, I haven't checked around on that. Uh, my question is how many players do they have that are marketable right now outside of baseball? I, I don't find a lot. Maybe you've got one in Ken Seals, your quarterback. Uh, but when you, your football team goes 0-9, that, that's a little bit hard <laughs> to market. Um, basketball, they would probably have one in Scotty Pippen Jr. Mm-hmm. I suspect he's going pro and won't be back. And, and that roster next year is just – a bunch of names that nobody knows. It's freshmen and transfers. So, t- to me, the, the team that finished playing last night is the one that's got the most marketable kids at that school. Uh, but those kids have been pretty tied up with baseball. I think that's probably been the last thing on their mind. But in my mind, if you've got somebody that's worth an endorsement deal, it's Enrique Bradfield Jr., or, or any number, I guess you'll see lighter and rocker go. So they won't be Vanderbilt athletes here in a couple of weeks. But to me, all the marketable guys were guys you saw on that team last night. Chris, did you get any sense that the, the way the weekend played out 
for the Commodores played a factor in anything that they did this week once they made it to the final series, that the, the way that the NC State stuff went down over the weekend? Was there a, a mental lapse or, or a, a lack of energy or something there? We know they won game one. Leiter was very good. Uh, they hit the ball, and they hit it well right out of the gate. Um, so maybe we can't just point to that instance. But it, do you think there was any lingering effect from what happened on Saturday morning? Well, I think the short answer is they were just going to get beat, right? Okay. I think you look at how that series played out. Um, you had to have Rocker and Lighter both throw well. You had no margin for error otherwise. You got one out of two. And, and I think the better team won. Now, I will say this. You carry a lot of weight being a Vanderbilt player. And just wearing that name on your jersey breeds a lot of expectations, which isn't necessarily fair to some of those kids because they haven't been a part of those title teams. They didn't get a season last year to get experience. So they got thrown to the fire right off. And you look at the background where they come into this, right? You've always got the the stuff about the Whistler, and a lot of people hate them for that. You've got all sorts of things. Um, You've got the scholarship thing. And nobody's fan base gripes about that more than Mississippi State's. So that was a full-throated conversation the whole time. You've got on top of that, you have, um, you know, the NC State thing, which was beyond their control, and a lot of stuff was thrown out there. I thought it was unfair, uh, but it is what it is. I think you throw all those things together. Those kids are under a lot of pressure being on that stage for the first time. Again, they were going to lose anyway. But you look in the dugout at certain points in Omaha, and they just look beat. I'll give you an example. The Stanford game, I went into the kitchen to to grab a snack, and I'm just sitting there thinking, how do I tie in the story of the night with the story of the season that they just got worn out and exhausted and and the moment was too big? And and then I I come back in, and and 10 pitches later, they win the game before you can even blink. And I'm like, well – Maybe it's not what we think it is, but I I kept looking into that dugout when they showed it on TV and seeing tired eyes and tired body language. And in the end, I just think the the length of the season, the weight of the moment, all kinds of things were just too much for them. And Mississippi State is a hard team to not like watching them play in the series, right? I mean, no matter who you're rooting for, you felt good for them uh, and, and the dog pile at the end of that game last night. Yeah, they had a lot of things. They have personality, first of all. You know, the Landon Simses, the Tanner Allens. They strike me from afar as, as pretty good kids and pretty good representatives for that school. And you've got Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen, who are just, I don't know if they had a baseball Mount Rushmore for that school. you got a lot of faces that could go on there. Will Clark and Rafael Palmeira being maybe the biggest two, but those guys never won a title. And Jordan and Allen were kids who started – for them in Omaha uh, in 2018 and 2019. You got Landon Sims, their ace reliever, who would have been the best reliever in college baseball if not for Kevin Copps. You got Will Bedner, who's a first-rounder, who threw great last night. Um, that was a likable team in my mind. Um, you know, you're happy for those kids, certainly, to see them win it. And that's a fan base that, the, you know, the title, speaking of carrying weight around, the, the title, the best program without a national title, is a lot for people to carry. And I think that team bore the burden of a lot of expectation and hope. And that's a tough one to wear, too. But I thought they did it with class 
and, and was styling a lot of success, and hats off to them for doing that. You can follow Chris on Twitter at ChrisLee70VandySports.com. Chris, uh, get some rest, man. You've, you've got uh, a little bit of time here before camp and before college football kicks off uh, and what will be a, a crazy year, to say the least, uh, with packed stadiums again, at least we hope. that, that That's where we're trending and what's been announced. Uh, that's what I'm expecting. And then, of course, the name, image, likeness, and, and the free-for-all there, which is going to be fun to follow no matter if you're for or against because we have no idea what to expect in that regard. Yeah, there's not much of an off-season for us anymore, especially yeah. with baseball getting to be a bigger thing. That's that's set of us on a lot of beats. But, um, yeah, it's time to recharge the batteries between now and fall camp, and it'll be here before we know it. Hey, great perspective today. We, we, appreciate, we appreciate the time. You. you bet. Thank you. All right, Chris Lee there, VandySports.com, the website, with great analysis and uh, insight on Vanderbilt season, uh, but beyond that, gearing up for – the college football season and the SEC slate. I, I think there is there is value on some Vanderbilt football players uh, locally. And, Paul, just because they're one of 14, they are one of 14 SEC schools, that carries some value in and of itself. Maybe not what Alabama what Alabama's going to pull at the quarterback or running back or defensive line position. I know it's asking a lot. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I wonder if you could like, dream up an example – for Vandy, non-quarterback, uh, coming off 0-9, I, I think Clark Lee could probably, uh, but though that's not going to be you know, on the front of his desk with all that he's got to deal with football-wise, I'm sure Clark Lee has people because he's hired very yeah. intelligently. Um, Barton Simmons would be one of them, Yeah. right? But, I, uh, yeah, it's part of a recruiting pitch, yeah. certainly. But... Um, you know, I well, think you that some schools, yeah, some schools uh, <laughs> would be s- slower than others. I'm very yeah. curious what Vanderbilt will will do with it too. It's kind of a seems like in some circumstances a hurry up and wait kind of uh, environment. In some cases, in, you know, and in other cases, it, it can be it's a hurry up and hurry. <laughs> yeah, uh, player by player, right? Like um, we're we're seeing at Miami, at Florida State, Mike Norvell at Florida State. They've they've already said like Florida's. They've made it clear, the state of Florida, NIL and what the state regulations are, the really none, come join us. You know, Be a quarterback in the state of Florida. Be a running back, a wide receiver in the state of Florida. Stay in the state of Florida. Uh, it's a huge recruiting pitch for them. At Tennessee, we're seeing where Cade Mays is teaming up with a local agency, um, where Chad's going to MC an event next week in Knoxville, Old City Sports Bar, where we, we held our orange and white pregame party, our tailgate party, a uh, great venue, and it's just a Q&A to learn more about name, image, likeness, and how you can profit as an athlete, or uh, you know how universities can help in that regard. If you're a fan and you're interested in just learning what it's like, or a potential sponsor, you can go there and learn it. I mean, it's crazy to think that's where we are, and today's day one of that. We've talked about this for years from an NFL perspective. The, the NFL brotherhood, right? Everybody wants their guys to make money. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, I did. Uh, I think it was when I, I was a stringer for Sports Illustrated, and they had a year where they had guys play video game head to head, and Bullock played somebody. So I went to Bullock's place, and I wrote the Bullock side of a you know small little thing yeah. about him playing somebody. I can't even remember who it was. <clears throat> 
but I always remember the the salutation with those two guys was symbolic of what the league was, right? Stay healthy and go get yours, right? And those were good then. They were good for the generation before them. They're good for the generation now, right? That's what guys wish for each other. Stay healthy. I don't want to see any, anybody get hurt. And go get yours. It's a short career. We want you to make every penny you can. And you want me to make every penny I can. It's good for everybody, right? I wonder, and we're going to talk about all kinds of permutations of this whole thing. I'm sure that there's a general feeling of go get yours, right? But are we going to have the haves and have-nots here? On um, Not Alabama, probably, it, it's taken Maybe. care of, right? But on a, a, yeah. a more middling Power 5 program, what's the jealousy factor going to be for the very good offensive lineman who's anonymous and the quarterback who is reeling something in? And getting himself not just money, but the profile that comes with the, doing the things that earn you the money. Are you thinking, hey, that's great. Yeah, Hutton, I'm really happy for you. Buy me a burger. Yeah. Or you're, the beer's well, on you tonight. Or am I thinking, we're on the same team, pulling the same rope. Coach is talking about all those things. And here I am still scrounging, calling home for some extra money. And here you are. I'm the guy blocking for you, making sure you're not on your ass. You're living a pretty different life than I'm living now. I see the quarterback normally always takes care of his offensive line. Right, but this is a new dynamic now. The quarterback um, hasn't had a chance to take care of the offensive line before. Does he learn that yeah. automatically? These are some new dynamics. And not I, necessarily the quarterback, the running back, sure. the receiver. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you, you tend to take care of, of the guys that are working up front for you. Yeah, and how much you're making? Your are you making enough? That, and what's taken care of? You know, there are all these yeah. permutations to well, it. Well, you mentioned the video game. I could totally see where players, uh, athletes, or, you know, a kid pays to play against, you know, one of the star athletes at a school, you know, online. Like, that. that's wide open now. Uh, pay for a tweet. For instance, it's not just – think about the – Give me a shout-out takes a new meaning. A shout-out. Guys walk by, guys in the locker yeah. room, they always say, shout me out. Yeah. Well, now shout me out has a, a, a value to it potentially. Yeah, but think about like – so I, I think the, the initial thought is, oh, the quarterbacks and the running back, the stars, the, the skill position is going to make a ton. Sackers. Cade Mays. Offensive lineman Cade Mays is the first player from the University of Tennessee that's announced he's partnering with Spire Sports Group which is a sports agency and a marketing firm, a creative agency in Knoxville. Offensive lineman has announced that right out of the gate on day one. So if that's the case, and we're seeing it from, from other players across the country, there's a player at Illinois, I believe, maybe it's Iowa, I can't remember what I was reading last night. Right at midnight it was announced. Uh, at 1220 Eastern it was announced that uh, Miami and Florida State's quarterbacks, uh, Derek King and Mackenzie Milton, were teaming up with their own agency for NIL. I mean, so who's to say that an offensive, uh, an offensive lineman and a defensive back can't team up from opposing teams and actually create something within their own conference? That, I, I am fascinated just to know how far we'll go and how fast we'll go. Now here's another interesting at the same angle. Time. I sent you this earlier from Tom Pelissero. Yes. The NFL Players Association advised agents they're permitted to enter, enter into NIL marketing agreements with college players a potential game changer in recruiting 
though the union says such agreements should, should not, should not, not may not, should not, very important word choice, include clauses about future NFL representation. Well, what the hell am I getting involved in a college NIL agreement with a guy for, which might be significant, but is relatively small potatoes and I, compared to a contract I'm going to get a top 10 draft pick and ultimately get a top 10 draft pick in his second contract. If I'm an NFL agent, that's what I'm going for, right? I'm trying to ultimately get to a second contract with a big-time pick. That's where my, I'm making my big money. So if I'm starting with the NIL relationship with you, ultimately what do I want? The long-term contract and the, the relationship. So why am I starting that relationship if it should not include anything about future NFL? Well, they have to say that. But, I mean, uh, if they, they have no control over but that. But this is begging that, for that, dirty. That sports agency... Uh, can go and recruit the high school athlete. I'd say, screw your rules about college athletes. I'll go recruit them in high school because the NCAA is allowing that to happen. So this changes the agent game and lending itself to be, yeah. uh, I, I want to say dirty, old school dirty, but we know plenty of these agents are shysters <laughs> who are yeah. going to take these kids Some as long yeah. as they're good or profitable and drop them as soon as they're not, which is free market, yes, but also is going to leave some kids in the gutter. And I'm using that only partially figuratively. Yeah. And I, I think we will eventually see some, some players that do feature that. I'm, I'm trying... I, I, this is not just about sports, though. This is about social media following and influencer. You know, the, the social media influencer category. I mean, there, there are so many athletes right now in college sports. I'm not talking foot. I think a lot of people think big sports. Foot, but the money makers in college. Football, basketball. Beyond that, the, non-profit, the non-profitable sports in collegiate athletics, they feature some athletes that have a ton of influence and millions of followers on social media. That's where, like, if imagine the, the gymnast at LSU. Imagine if she charges a dollar per follower, if you want to sponsor her for a post on Instagram or a, a series of posts on Instagram over a year. If she charges a dollar, she's going to make it a million bucks, you know, on one contract. Darren Ravel, uh, uh, who, who's following the money in sports, is saying... It, we're we're lowballing a lot of these athletes if we think this is about a couple thousand dollars. He's adding zeros to that discussion uh, for a lot of them. It, it, it's more than just a game changer. This is changing the landscape of college sports, and it's more than just oh, here's a hundred dollars. Will you show up and take a photo with this car dealership? Here's a thousand dollars. Will you schedule a series of tweets? Uh, posing with uh, a Coca-Cola bottle. I mean, it's much larger than just one tweet or one Facebook post. I think you hit on something here, and we're going to have all these avenues that we're going to go back yeah. to and go and more thoroughly. And, yeah. um, the media element of it. You know, Rovell's job is really to follow the money. He's with the Action, mm-hmm. Action Network now. If I'm in a major media outlet, I'm creating a beat for this right now. It's not just my sports business person, because this would overwhelm my sports business person. I, I got somebody right now with a strict focus on this. 
the growth of it, all these avenues that we've hit on. We've hit on 10 today just with small mentions. But uh, you need a beat writer on NIL right now, a sports business person focused on strictly on NIL. Yeah, I mean, who's uh, why not have, I mean, uh, I know OutKick has thought about this. Barstool has tweeted about this. Why not have a pay-for-podcast for college athletes? You can do that now where they're exclusive to your site and you have a weekly podcast. It's a player show, much like a coach would get paid in his contract for a coach's show. You have a player show in your podcast network. But you also need a colander, right? A sift. Yeah. Because every athlete's going to think this is him or her. But you got to sift through it because there's going to be a lot of crap in there. There's going to be a lot of gold in there, too. But you got to sift through a lot. A lot of it is going to be bad sure. uh, in terms of the podcast conversation. I mean, we've talked to a lot of athletes. A lot of them have nothing to say. Then when you get down to the But the, the ones that do will make their money. Oh, yeah. The ones that are good will be... It'll be a fantastic listen. But it's like the podcast universe. How many podcasts are out there and how many podcasts are out there that are really good? Well, and that's determined. That sift is determined by the consumer. Yeah. The clicks. But at the beginning, when you're overwhelmed by a billion podcasts, mm -hmm. who's doing the sifting? The market does, but it's going to take some time. Because if there are a million new podcasts... It's, well, it's a way that's, to that's whittle it I'm down saying. to the hundred that the are good. The sift is taking place by the visual aspect that you can have an influencer in college sports now that's not even in football or basketball that has 3.4 million TikTok followers. I mean, that, that exists. And now you can go and specifically target that demographic, if you so choose. Yes. Um, and I'm if interested. You, if I don't want to be part of the sifting. I, I want the, the final. When it gets down to the hundred, I'll, I'll scan through the hundred. I don't want to be part of scanning through the million. Well, but the, the big corporations will take over those hundred. Yes, absolutely. You know? absolutely. And, then, and, then, and those hundred are going to be And then you decide, okay, fantastic. okay do I want the uh, Josh Reynolds, Titans wide receivers, doing an autograph signing where they're charging like $8 for verification of his autograph this weekend or next weekend. Um, Just eight? Eight dollars for the certification, like the, the verification that he was physically there. Uh, <laughs> then it's like $25 per item after that or something. But I'm thinking, okay, are, are, is that agency going to pay Josh Reynolds now as the third wide receiver on the Titans roster? Or are they going to the University of Tennessee to target Knoxville? instead of Nashville. Like, that, that's been off the table until now. Right. I'm just curious how you what approach that, yeah. what the demand is for the player and, that's and, not been able to do it. And then you're on these scales, like, I'm curious about the fandom. You know, you might be more passionate about the University of Tennessee. Yeah. But the Titans are going to be far better than the Vols are Yeah, but the agency is going right? to bet on the player becoming a draft pick and that autograph meaning something down the down road. Down the line. That's but the what, fan right that's now. That's the investment. Right. That's the investment for them long term. The fan right now, though, do you want UT's top receiver right now? Are you projecting that? Are you projecting Josh Reynolds might play in the Super Bowl this year? Uh, you know, all, all these things. We've got all kinds of scales and levers and stuff like we've been talking about. Is it going to be a font for But us? as we know, the college fan, much more loyal. Yes. Passion. To their rooting interest. You say, I get this guy at the ground level. It's also like buying a stock. You know, though Josh Reynolds is a little bit of a stock because he's new too. 
And, right. and while, while there are some passionate NFL fan bases, if we're just going to keep the, the discussion strictly to football, there are some passionate NFL fan bases. There are weeks and moods for college football fans that are determined by the result on Saturday. Like if you win on Saturday, your week's going to be pretty good at work. And if you lose, you're going to be in misery until they kick off again. Does the following fantasy weekend. come into play here some way, some, in, in a way that it hasn't before? Was NIL a factor in, in college not having fantasy, or is it just because there are too many teams? Like if you did a, uh, an all-college fantasy, or would an SEC fantasy league be more interesting to people? That's not national enough. It's not broad enough the way the NFL is. That's, I'm intrigued by that. I don't know. Let's see. There, there's another avenue to this. Um, <laughs> the NCAA is not policing any of it. Because that's another thing. I They're think leaving it up people, to the universities. Pulls people to an NFL guy, right? You're on my fantasy team. Yeah, so you I keep up with them. Guy. Yeah. Um, but how many? How how is the NFL player profiting off of fantasy football? Oh, he's not. He's taking abuse for it. More than, more <laughs> he's than taking anything, up right? But it does lift his trashed. name. It does lift his name. Oh up yeah, you're, it, his you're, brand you're grows. About him his the, his brand grows. Coming up. Uh, let's let's discuss the brand of an NFL safety in Kevin Byard and the decision of how he was deployed within the Titans defense last season compared to how he should be used moving forward. Paul wrote about this. We'll break it down next on Outkick 360. Making it rain and changing not lives but lines. It's our daily parlay Outkick 360. And it's Jacob Swanson that changes and shifts lines in Las Vegas because the man wins parlays. Our biggest win as a, as a group, 85 bucks on a three-leg parlay <laughs> last night. That was a preposterous parlay. Uh, ridiculous. And that, that, that's the beauty of the whole <laughs> thing. Won. We found a dispassionate sports fan oh. who uh, is willing to go against the grain. And listen, when you win the $85 one, that gets you off the hook for all of these losses. <laughs> Not you, Jacob, because you've us, been winning. Us. us. By you, I mean us. Uh, Jacob, you have the honor of going back-to-back -back with parlay picks yet again. Second week in a row, it's returned to you. Let's end the week and go. Let, let's continue this. I want to end the week with and you glory. tomorrow picking Bathing another parlay. Glory. Oh, yeah, we've got the Atlanta Hawks money line okay. under 215 and a half points. And Chris Middleton is going to make three or more three-pointers. That so is at our least, bet. I like it. Uh, at least three threes by Chris Middleton. That seems like a no-brainer element of it to me. I'm surprised that number under is Under 215 and a half is what I'm most concerned about. The Hawks, without Giannis playing for the Bucks tonight, I would take the Hawks' money line as well, just on a separate bet with FanDuel. Um, there's your three-team parlay, the three-leg parlay. Same game parlay here for the Hawks and Bucks tonight. Under without Giannis and potentially still Trey Young in jeopardy. I think there's a shot at the under there. Yes, uh, five dollar wager, total payout thirty seven sixty five. Now speaking of the Hawks, you if you are a first time user to FanDuel, FanDuel.com slash OK three sixty, you can place up to a five dollar bet, thirty to one odds on either the Bucks or the Hawks tonight, just to win. Straight money line bet to win, 30 to 1 odds for first time users. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Paul, let's wrap up with uh, and, and a bit of a tease for tomorrow's show and discussion in the Tennessee Power Hour uh, on the back end of uh, the VolQuest Power Hour with, with Brent Hubbs tomorrow. Kevin Byard 
and how he was used, how he was deployed last year versus what you hope to expect in 2021 <laughs> because based on Bayard standards, he didn't meet them. No, it's a bad year. It's a really bad year. He, he had a bad year. Part of the reason, I think, is because of the way they deployed him. And we, nobody's touched on this, really. There's one guy in Europe who really uh, counted down what they did with him defensively. Romeo Crennel is a proponent of this. He plays his safeties left and right. And the Titans did a lot of this last year. Kevin Byard played 75% of his snaps on the left. Now, this is fine if you have interchangeable safeties, but I can't... Who is going to tell you that Kevin Byard and Kenny Vaccaro, who was slipping last Byard, year, Byard, or Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker? He's a center fielder yes, playing with Vaccaro, who was almost an extra linebacker at times. Not even a safety. Been. Yes, and Hooker is much more a box guy. Yeah. Now, we don't say this is an insult. Box safety gets thrown around as an insult. It's not an insult. No. If you're a good box, safety is a high-value player. Um, but for uh, and listen, Bayard playing on the left, all those snaps on the left didn't mean he wasn't a free safety. He was a free safety, you know, a, a percentage of those times when he was on the left. But he needs to be the free safety, and they need to play free and strong. I would argue, and I hope they'll get back to that. He clearly was a much better player, and there were other mitigating factors on his game and on the defense. But I say get away from left right, get to strong free. Hooker is very much a strong safety. Byard's very much a free safety. If you want to stray from that a little bit to not be that predictable, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, with Kevin Byard being a predictable free safety the three years before that, he intercepted 17 passes. Last year, being unpredictable, he intercepted one. One. So what's the benefit of being unpredictable there? Less production. Pass rush will help him no matter where he's playing. We can throw that out there, too. Yeah. All uh, it, it all comes together. Listen, every time Hutton and I are going to talk about the defense, <laughs> there's going to be a mention of Health the pass and rush. pass rush. We, yeah. They need both. They need both. We are back at it tomorrow where we have the Tennessee Power Hour, including Brent Hubs from BallQuest.com. Much to discuss with name, image, and likeness. A lot to discuss as Jacob Swanson tries to make it two for two with the 360 parlay and much more. We'll hit all the headlines tomorrow going into the big, long weekend. For July 4th. Until then, hit us up on social media. Follow and like the page on YouTube. You can subscribe there. Just search out Outkick360. Let's Thanks go, to everyone. Let's go from a two-shot. Stay in a two-shot here. Don't block the box. Now one shot. But do lock <laughs> the locks. Do. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.